Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Thank you, Keller. Brenda? You can identify them really well in their picture. If I showed you mine, I don't know if you can. That's, uh, that's the Philippines. Now, Peggy looks the same. Uh, this morning, we're uh, looking at 1 Corinthians, and this is our last uh, kind of study on the book of 1 Corinthians. We've made it all the way through. Uh, I hope that uh, you've become familiar with 1 Corinthians, and uh, I'd encourage you maybe this week uh, to go back and reread 1 Corinthians, to remind yourself of all of the things that have been addressed uh, 1 Corinthians was written to the first century church in Corinth. It was a church planted by Paul, if you remember. Um, this is not the first letter. There's probably a previous letter uh, that Paul wrote to them. There's probably a letter he received from them and he's responding to in this letter. And then there's probably another letter and then 2 Corinthians, so you three or four uh, four or five letters have gone back and forth from Paul and the church. First um, Corinthians is important because many topics are raised in the book. But, as we've noticed when we started the study, Paul begins in a very important place. Even though the church is having trouble and there are all of these issues that he needs to raise, and some of those issues took a half a chapter, some of them took a chapter, some of them took two chapters. Even though there are these issues that are raised, you remember at the very beginning, Paul was filled with confidence in what God could do and would do in the life of his people, who he's made them to be by his grace, by his presence, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And because of that, he's confident in God's work in the church. And even when there's tons of problems, he's confident God is up to something great and profound. And I think that's Paul's attitude towards the churches. And I think it's God's attitude towards our church. That God is up to something great in our church. And what we're called to do is to come every Sunday and really every day with a humility and a brokenness and a willingness to respond to God's work in our lives to have our eyes and ears open to His will and His purposes and His plans and the hunger and thirst after His righteousness, His goals, His dreams for our lives. Not our goals, not our dreams, but His. And then to walk in those ways. Because when we walk in those ways, we will find life. That's the promise of the gospel. And it's a wonderful thing. Paul plants churches with the longing and the desire that God would impact people's lives. And churches were communities of people who have been transformed by the gospel and brought into fellowship with one another. 
to be a testimony to the world around us and a place of hope waiting for the day when Christ would return with his kingdom victorious and we would see his glory in undiminished magnitude. And that's our hope. But in the meantime, there's the hope that the reflection of Christ would be seen in the church. So Paul is concerned about the churches. God's concerned about this church. Reminds me of uh, uh, this, this maybe two or three months ago. I uh, walked out of my house to the back porch and the deck. And as I walked out there, unbeknownst to me, there was this baby blue jay. I've just gotten out of the nest. I've seen the blue jays around in the backyard. I don't know where their nest was. Uh, but this baby blue jay was sitting on the deck. And as I walked out, almost walked up to it, it totally freaked out and took off, you know. Of course, it's pretty small. And so it was kind of the dive bomber sort, you know, kind of took off, was flapping like crazy and crashed into the ground. But it got quite a ways. And immediately I noticed this two blue jays up around my head and then flying to the bird. And it was quite a fascinating thing because the blue jays are there taking care of the baby bird. And uh, I, I know that the bird got along all right. I didn't find it in the yard or anything. Uh, but it is a spectacular thing to see this pattern of life. And we see that, that blessing of life, that cycle of life, all around us. And Paul sees it in the church. Well, as I was thinking about that cycle of life, I was also thinking about a story that our famous bird watcher here in the congregation told me a while back um, about cowbirds. You all know what cowbirds are? Raise your hand. I mean, you guys are smarter than me. I never heard of cowbird. Uh, but cowbirds are all over North America, and, and they're kind of related to the blackbird. And cowbirds are what they call parasite birds. So cowbirds never build their own nests to raise their own children or chicks or whatever you call them. Uh, no, they uh, go around and they find other birds who are just at the point of having built their nest and just the point of putting their own eggs in there, then they fly in when the parents aren't there and drop their own eggs in there. And, uh, it was, and so they're kind of like uh, passing off the, the, the raising part of the job. Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, might be something tempting for some people. But, uh, you know, it's, it, they fly in, drop their eggs off, and then fly on. Now, uh, sometimes they have noticed that the parents of the cowbirds will stick around. And they'll watch to see if the, the bird that laid the original eggs will let their eggs stay in the nest. And if that bird knocks the cowbird, uh, cowbird's egg out of the nest, then the mother cowbird will fly to that nest when the parents are gone and knock all the other eggs out. It's kind of a nasty deal. There's this uh, other bird called a a cuckoo bird, and they will actually, they're the same thing. They drop the eggs in the nest, but the, the babies are kind of genetically engineered to, as soon as they 
hatch, and they hatch sooner than other normal birds. As soon as they hatch, they'll automatically throw all the other eggs out of the nest. So when we look at these kinds of things, we think, oh, man, that's nasty. That's a terrible thing. But, but we also recognize as we look around in life that there are nasty things that happen. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Life is not fair, and we understand why. Do we understand? Or we always ask ourselves questions when it happens to us. Why is this happening? We don't really understand, like we should, that this world has been infected by sin, by rebellion, by going our own way. And the whole world, as Paul would say in Romans 8, the whole world, all of creation groans, longing for the day when it will be corrected. But that groaning is evident in the cowbird, I think. And the reason I bring that up is because, in some sense, Paul is struggling with that same experience with the church of Corinth. He's planted that church. And there are people there who really understand who Jesus is. And they love Jesus. And they've become a community together. But then right out of the midst, maybe by something, someone coming into the church and questioning what's going on, or maybe somebody who was a part of the church originally, are raising all kinds of questions about the church, about Paul, about the direction, about the importance of preaching Christ crucified, raising questions about the resurrection, all of these things. And Paul talks about how in his ministry, after planting all of these churches, He carries the weight of the church on his shoulders. I think of Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 25 to 31, when he was about to go to Jerusalem, and he knew that that would be the end of his life, that he would probably give his life there. He met with the Ephesian elders at the church at Ephesus just before he went, and he says this, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. So he's saying, I know that my life is coming to an end. I know that you won't see me face to face again. Therefore I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves, over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which, brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So Paul was aware of these dangers. Paul has showed that he was aware of these dangers in Corinth. As we've studied 1 Corinthians, we see that Paul addresses the problems Paul addresses those who were criticizing him. But never forget, Paul is filled with hope. Because he believes that God is up to something in the church. God is at work in the lives of people. That's why even when we hit hard times and we're challenged to wonder if we're moving forwards or if things are happening that are good in the church, is the the body of Christ coming together? Are we representing Christ as we should to, to the world? Never forget that God is up behind this. God is at work in this. And he's calling for us to humbly 
trust in him, to ask him to change us, to shape our minds, to shape our vision, that we might honor him. And that's what the letter of 1 Corinthians is about. And that's what, that's what you and I need as believers in our church today. We need to be having a willingness to let God make us be the church he longs for us to be because there are real threats to the church of Jesus Christ. And as Paul ends this letter, Paul gives us a final encouragement, one more kind of shot in the arm to remember the mission we're on, remember the things that we are to do, remember the character of the church that we're a part of. And so I'd like us to read 1 Corinthians 16, 12 through 24. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the providence of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, as does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let, him, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we see three things that I think are important in this passage. First, community, devoted love, and hope. First, being the church means we live in connection with believers everywhere. Paul writes this letter from Ephesus. It's uh, written to the Corinthians in Acacia, which is the uh, southern part of Greece. And what he shows in this letter is that there is this great move of God in the churches where localities and churches are being formed in various cities after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the ministry of the gospel. These local churches have strong ties with all the other local churches. They were planted in the same era, in the same time frame. They were connected with one another. There is a sense in which we as believers continue to live in connection with believers everywhere. Notice that Paul talks about other believers in this passage. He mentions several of them. Apollos in verse 12. He mentions Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaeus, 
and all of those who had traveled to meet with him. These are important connections. They're relationships. And it highlights for us the importance of these connections. There are larger geographical connections and there are personal connections that are seen in this passage. There's also the mention of uh, Aquila and Priscilla and the church in their home. There is the mention of Paul, of course, as well. And so what we see here as Paul ends this letter is that churches aren't individual. They're not, they're not standing on their own. They're to live out the gospel in connection with one another. There is a larger community that's represented in the gospel and that churches must be sensitive and aware of these significant connections. It underscores the family character of the church. Though we are tied to one another through membership, we are also tied together by our connection with Jesus Christ, and this makes our connection with one another in a larger framework. I think it's important to notice in verse 12, it seems like maybe a throwaway verse, but verse 12 talks about Apollos. And I think it's important because he mentions that he spoke to Apollos and encouraged him to go to the church at Corinth. Now, if you remember in the second, third, fourth chapter of First Corinthians, there were divisions in the church at Corinth and it all happened behind certain star leaders, apostles, teachers in the church. If you remember, the church was divided up in Corinth. Some behind Paul, some behind Apollos, some behind Peter, some behind Christ himself. And that this was bringing damage to the church. And Paul needed to correct this situation and said that, that nobody's super important. Who, there's only one who is super important, and that is Christ Jesus. And, they need, and we need to follow him. But when you're reading that, you wonder, well, I wonder what Apollos, I was always wondering, what's, I wonder what Apollos thinks of this, or I wonder what Peter thinks of this. Are they grieved by this? And so I think it's a beautiful thing that Paul adds this verse at the end of 1 Corinthians as he's closing the letter, talking about recognizing his ongoing partnership and work with Apollos and inviting Apollos or encouraging Apollos to go to Corinth. Corinth. Go to the trouble and make things right. Go and speak to the church. Now, we don't know exactly. Paul's not doing it as a dictator. He's just urging Apollos to do it, and Apollos at the time does not feel ready to go, but plans to make a move. But it shows of uh, the importance of the relationship, and it highlights what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, when he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has made it grow. And so what we see here is that it's God who stands behind the church. The church is not about the individual servants and leaders, but it is about the Lord Jesus Christ and what God is doing in the church. doesn't mean that leaders and participants in the church aren't important, but we all serve under the banner of Jesus Christ. 
And that's a mark, a characteristic of the kind of community and relationship we should have with one another in the church. It's hard for us at times to grasp this because we're so individualistic in America. We have our own Facebook accounts, our own cell phone accounts, and we drop who we don't want to listen to, we block who we don't want to hear from, and, and we can do our own managing our own little worlds. But what we see in the New Testament is that there's this ongoing obligation of relationship between one another, and we're to care and invest and stand together with one another. The church isn't to be about individual believers. It's to be about a community where God shows up in the lives of his people. So that's why, as church, we value knowing one another, the community together. Second, being the church means we are devoted in love to following Christ together. This is Paul's probably short, short verse Kind of zinger, you could say, in verse 13 and 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong and do everything in love. A closing charge. Paul first says, be on your guard in order to provide a context in which caution and carefulness means, needs to be applied to the situation of the church. We need to be watching over the relationships and how we live together. We need to be alert, be on guard, recognizing that there are those elements in our society, in our world, in our culture, in our hearts that can bring sin into the church. And we need to be engaged together working together for the life of the church in anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ. And Next, he says, standing firm in your faith. And I think this is encouraging us, and he's closing the letter to the Corinthians, stand firm on the doctrines, on the truths, on the principles that God has revealed in Christ. Be followers of his. Be orthodox. Be true. Be pure. Hold to the faith once passed on to the church. Be faithful in that. He is saying that we need to make the gospel central to what we are doing. We should be reflecting the gospel in all we do. Then he says, be courageous. Be courageous means Paul is emphasizing a sense of being full-grown, being strong being a warrior, being courageous. It is a legitimate translation to say to act like a man. Uh, there's a, uh, the, the male man word in this be courageous, be strong. It kind of points to a, a military situation where men and women stand up in service for the country in the time of battle. It is saying step out and and stand in the gap. Be willing to fight for and work for what is the target and mission of the church. Be courageous. Participate. It's reminiscent of Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Present temptations, pressures from our culture should not hold us back from growing fully in our maturity in following Christ. 
This takes devotion to Christ. This takes love for Christ in an ultimate way. This is a gutsy statement, of course. Verse 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. But it's tempered also by that last phrase, which is kind of countercultural, I suppose. Do everything in love. This is Paul's calling card. Here, you, we can remember back to 1 Corinthians 13 when he talked in the love chapter. And I love the passage where Paul says, you can, if you could speak with the tongues of men and angels, if you could remove all mountains, if you could do all miracles, if you had all knowledge and all understanding, if you could wow everybody with super spirituality and you lack love, you are nothing. Love is a comprehensive mode of operation. If we're to be followers, serving Christ, devoted to Christ, participants in the church of Christ, in the community of Christ, love must be the engine. Because we have received that kind of love from God himself. Devotion and love are a necessary combination to our living as followers of Jesus. One example of this love in the church is what we see in verse 15 and following where Paul talks about Stephanus being the first convert and, and that they devoted themselves to the church and they ministered and cared for the church. And what is the church to do but to honor and listen to and respect those who are servants in the church? Corinth was filled with divisions and questions about those in authority what a healthy and a holy church is is one that recognizes there are authorities and leaders and the church should respond in love and he even goes on to say to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it there are workers in the church there are those who step up and take roles of responsibility, and the church should be showing love to those who lead. And that makes for a healthy church. We must make the church and its community a major priority in our life. That's what we see Paul reflecting here, an, op an optimism, an expectation that the church would be growing together, standing together, loving one another, devoted to Christ and reflecting him by their relationships with one another. And one of those components is how we respond as church members and leaders in the church. How we respond to the church, the gospel at large. We have missionaries. We have missionaries here in town. We have missionaries around the world. We should, as people, be engaged in the work of ministry in the gospel. So Paul is essentially saying, take interest in what is happening in the church around you. The gospel ministry and the church should be a priority for us. It was for Paul. Pray for the success and the advancement of the gospel here in this city, in our church, and around the world. Take interest in the global movement of the gospel. Support it through prayer and relationships and financial giving. Think of the connections we have 
with our extended families. We should at least have those kind of connections with the gospel community, the church of Jesus Christ, all those who are in it. As the church, we are to be devoted in love to Christ together. We're brought into a community. That's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians, hoping that that community will be strong, will be connected, and will continue to grow and reflect the beauty of Christ. Third, being in the church means we hope in our life in Christ. We hope in our life in Christ. He transitions in verse, verse 21. says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Paul usually has an amanuensis that writes the letters for him. But here he takes the pen and he writes these words. And I think verse 22 warns us of the ongoing danger, threat to the church. But his hope is in our relationship with Christ. The danger is, in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. That might sound harsh, but it is true. He cares about the church. He cares about what is happening in the church. He's writing to the, first, to the Corinthians so that they would find life in honoring God and loving Christ and living in relationship with Him. And that's God's desire for us. And then he says, come Lord. The word is maranatha. And it could go one of two ways. The Lord has come or the Lord will come. Either way, the Lord has come. It is the fact on which the church stands. It has changed who we are because the Lord has come. If the Lord is coming, we know that the day of reckoning is coming. And maybe he's saying, if one does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed, for the Lord is coming as the rightful judge. It's important both ways. The presence of the Lord changes us, makes us new. It is what makes us the church together. And the coming of the Lord reminds us to walk in the way of obedience and surrender and devotion to Christ. Because every single one of us one day will stand before our beloved Lord Jesus who has given all for us so that we might have life. And we long to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But verse 23 and 24, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. I just want to not pass over that too quickly. Because that last little phrase, in Christ Jesus, we, we see that many times in the New Testament. We don't particularly stop and reflect on that as we should. But in Christ Jesus was Paul's most famous, most regular description of what a Christian is. 
It is union with Christ. It's a recognition that once we come to trust in Christ, we recognize that we're sinners, we're undone, we have no hope without His grace. We trust in Christ, and God places us in union with Christ, puts us into Christ, unites us with Christ, fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we live in Christ. It is an essential idea. And it's, it's amazing and wonderful that Paul closes this letter with that phrase because it is on the basis of that that Paul is confident. Confident that God is behind the church. Confident that God can bring the church to where he wants it to be. Confident that God is at work in each one of your lives. Part of our Christian living is learning to know the heart and mind of Christ. Learning to walk in obedience to Him. Letting Him transform us so that we are like Him. And He wants to do that work in us. And it is that that gives power and strength to the church. It is that that we celebrate. It is that that we hold out to those outside of the church. If you don't know Christ, you don't know His forgiveness, you don't know His presence and His love, He's offering it to you. He came to bear your sin on the cross so that you can know Him and receive life through Him. I came to that place. Many of you came to that place where we realized we have nothing in our hands to give to Christ, only to trust in Him. And salvation flows to us. And it's because of that that we long to be a part of the church. It's because of that change that I long to live my every moment and my every desire and my every activity under His watchful eye in accordance with His will because He has so graciously given life to me, life to us. And because of that being in Christ, there is the power of the church. Grace in Christ is what changes everything. In a works-based community, people calculate for fairness. One does not love someone unless he shows himself to be worthy. One does not subject himself or herself to someone else unless they show themselves to be qualified, worthy. One does not recognize someone unless he, does, he or she does something outstanding. That is a works-based community. But a grace-fueled community is one that does not calculate, one that does not expect things in return. He or she is not in it for what they will receive as a response from somebody else. Grace is not a qualification. Grace is treating others in a loving way though they deserve the opposite. So when they deserve judgment and disdain, rather than responding in that kind, we respond in hope and in love and in forgiveness and restoration. That's how God works with us. Because you know and I know that we needed that kind of forgiveness. And Jesus gave it to us by His sacrifice. It was Jesus 
who gave everything for us out of his love. He subjected himself to this broken world, which sought to destroy him and end his life. But Jesus did this in order to restore and rescue us. He is the one and only Son who welcomes brothers and sisters into the family of God by means of His work of redemption, not by our qualifications, not by our accomplishments. He abundantly gives grace. Look at the words of Paul. In my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. We hear in Christ Jesus as the the totality of what it means to be a believer. John Murray said, in Christ Jesus is the whole of salvation. Lewis Smead says union with Christ is at, the, at once the center and the circumference of authentic human existence. Indeed, authentic Christian existence only comes by our union with Christ. And because God in His grace united us with Christ, we know God is behind the life of the church. Paul is filled with optimistic confidence in the growth and strength of the church. Paul has laid down the directions and the instructions of the Lord for the church. So, of course, God is behind it. Therefore, the potential is limitless. I have read in uh, Philip Yancey's books, and several times he makes the point, that in some way we have lost our gracious stance in the church. There is a lack of transparency, a lack of connection, a lack of being for one another and being gracious towards one another. And he, ol he holds up... Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous as the example. I don't know if you've ever been to an AA group, but, you know, AA groups, you don't say your last names. You try to remember that you're all on the same footing. You start the groups recognizing you're broken, you're in need, and you're in desperate need of the community, the relationship, the purpose of the AA group. And everyone comes broken, and therefore everyone stands together, and everyone celebrates the, the, the good things that are happening in the life of the alcoholic. And as we read through 1 Corinthians, and as we hear of Paul's optimism about the church, doesn't it make us wonder if the church has forgotten its mission? Are we transparent? Are we a gracious community? Are we pulling for one another with all our hearts, recognizing that we are in union with Christ, and because of that relationship, because of Christ's presence in our lives, He is changing us. And yes, we have all kinds of bumps and bruises and all kinds of missteps, but we believe that God is changing us. And we'll hold to that. And we'll fight for the truth of Christ to be at work in one another's lives because there's nothing more important and nothing more vital than entering into the life that Christ offers us. My hope is that we will be that kind of church.
that we'll be reminded from 1 Corinthians that God is up to that kind of work in our lives. That we'll risk being transparent. We'll risk being open about our difficulties and our struggles. And that we'll be a community that comes around one another and cheers on one another rather than looking down on one another because we're not performing as we should. That's why Paul is optimistic about the church. That's why I'm optimistic about the church. I believe God can and does work in the hearts of his people. And as we get a picture of God's dream for the church, the grace that undergirds the gospel and makes us who we are, as we get a clear picture of that, we're going to be changed by that. And my invitation as we finish 1 Corinthians is to join in the work that God is doing. Be involved. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Be courageous. Do everything with love. Stand together as a community together so that the reflection of Christ will be seen in our city, in our lives, and in our world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace. Lord, that you saw us in our pitiful state, our brokenness, our inability, and that you sent the Lord Jesus, the Holy Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, to come and bear our sins. And through our union with him, we are brought into life beyond anything that we could imagine. Yes, there are struggles and difficulties and pressures of the world around us who keep trying to tell us we're not who we think we are. But as we look at this letter and we hear the words of Paul and we hear what you have done for us in Christ, we know that we are in union with the Son of God. We are made new people, new creations, and that your life flows through us. Lord, may that be central to who we are, and may we live that out in our church, in this community, with joy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.